Good evening again and, and welcome. As we focus on an encounter that Jesus had this evening, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 to 22, just five short verses. And it's kind of a different encounter that has been chosen for us to reflect tonight because it's not an encounter that Jesus necessarily had with a person. It's uh, an encounter that he had with an object and the lesson that was learned from that. But before we get to that, let me just, you know, set the scene and, and uh, help us understand the context of this story. Because this takes place on the Monday after Palm Sunday. It's that Monday in Holy Week and you think, well, whatever happened on Monday? Well, tonight we get to hear a little bit about what happened on Monday. Before Monday, Thursday, before Good Friday, before Easter, after Palm Sunday. People couldn't wait for Jesus to get to Jerusalem. There was a buzz. In fact, the scripture tells us that they were wondering, is he going to come up? Do you think he's going to come up? Because they had heard rumors that they were laying for him as well. And uh, Jesus had heard such rumors before. And sometimes because of those rumors, he had removed himself from that kind of uh, contention and confrontation. And so they were curious, is he going to come up? Uh, I think about Hudson Taylor's comment, who was a great missionary to China. He said, uh, go ahead and catch fire and people will come and watch you burn. You know, and, and that's the kind of reputation Jesus had. He was passionate. You know, he was fully sold out for his father's work and people were paying attention. Uh, he was the talk of the city. Even though they'd come up for something bigger than him, they'd come up to celebrate the Passover, the remembrance of how God had delivered them from the slavery of Egypt and they were suffering the slavery of Rome and so it was especially a poignant time for them. Well, Jesus did come up and we remember how the whole city turned out for them. In, in fact, they, they waved palm branches as we remember as he came into the city and you say, well, where did they get all those palm branches? But you see, the city was not used to handling that many people. The whole country came to Jerusalem. You know, it was like trying to get a room at the French Quarter during Mardi Gras. You know, it's just not going to happen. And so people would cut down palm branches and they would build temporary shelters. They often built temporary shelters. They didn't farm like we farm. You know, they uh, actually built little shelters out by their fields. They lived in villages and they walked out to their fields. And so even during the harvest, they would build temporary shelters. They would do that in Jerusalem as well. The city was probably full of them. And they would bring branches on their donkeys and, and carry them in order to do that, to get the shade. They didn't need protection from rain, but they needed shade. And so they brought palm branches and they laid them in front of him. They laid their coats down and it was quite a deal. And the people praised him. And then, of course, we know that uh, Jesus went immediately from that great reception to the temple and cleaned house. What he saw in the temple just turned his stomach that people were abusing the worshipers by charging them for the things that they had to purchase for sacrifice, overcharging them, and uh, setting up their shops really in an area that was reserved for the women and for the Gentiles. What do we care about women? What do we care about Gentiles? As long as we keep the courts for the Jewish men, so Jesus threw him out of there. And no one could raise much of a stink because they knew that he was right and they were wrong. 
all of that. And then he left the city. As I said, the city was overcrowded. And Jesus had friends nearby. He had friends that lived in the village of Bethany. Now, Bethany was about two miles walk. Down through the Kidron Valley, over the Mount of Olives, and then out to Bethany. It would be like walking from here to maybe 141 or to 109. You know, it wasn't a great walk, especially for people who walked to get anywhere. It was just kind of a usual walk. And he stayed there with his friends, and you know his friends. They were Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He had stayed there before, and we have stories that involved those people. Those were his friends, and that's where he stayed. Now, it was Monday morning, and he was headed back to Jerusalem, back for the festivities and, and back for teaching as well. And it says he became hungry. I think that's curious because Mary and Martha would have knocked themselves out to provide food for him, I suppose. But maybe Jesus got up early. That was his custom. You know, even before the house stirred to go out to pray. And then he went his way on back to the city. And it says he saw standing alone a tree. This time, not a palm tree, but this time a fig tree. Probably looked a little something like this. And he thought he would go over and pick some of the figs and, you know, quench his hunger just a bit. And uh, Jews didn't have to wait for the figs to be ripe. They ate them in any season. They would, just like squirrels in my yard, eat the buds off the trees right now because the nuts aren't there yet. You know, they would eat also the buds of the figs. And, and so he walked over and there was no figs to be found on that tree. It was intended to produce figs. And Jesus said, if you will not do what you're intended to do, cursed be this tree. And the tree withered on the spot. And his, his disciples were amazed. And they said, how did the tree wither immediately, Lord? And he said, don't be surprised that this tree would wither immediately. For there is power in prayer. And you, in prayer, could command this mountain to move and be uprooted and cast into the sea. And it would happen. There was power in prayer. As I, I thought about that story and the encounter that Jesus had with this tree and the observation of his disciples, there were uh, at least three lessons that came to mind. Uh, first is our weekend teaching series. You know, when we talk about being marked... Being marked by certain qualities. Add to your faith these qualities. Goodness, knowledge, self-control. This week, perseverance. Lest you be ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not a perfect parallel. Because I, I think those of us who haven't added these qualities are ineffective and unproductive. I think there are way too many churches, way too many Christians that are ineffective and unproductive because they hadn't added these qualities. It doesn't mean they're completely ineffective or completely unproductive but they're like that apple tree in your folks yard that produced a few apples but it wasn't worth getting the ladders out because it didn't produce enough you know we've had trees like that I'm sure you have as well versus the small little trees that are bent over by their fruit and I thought about that you know how many people are ineffective and unproductive because they haven't seen the responsibility of adding to the faith, all that God has done for you in response to what he has done, living your faith out for him. There's a danger in our culture 
Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of in that danger zone now, but I think everybody's in that danger zone. And, and that's uh, the danger of retiring from life. You know, there's something in the American culture that says we work ourselves out of work. You know, that's our goal in life, to work ourselves out of work. And uh, I'm in the process right now of visiting some of our congregation members, and I'm pretty impressed uh, by most of them who still have a purpose, who still have a zeal for life. And I would pray that that would always mark you. And I pray that if you're not to that point yet, that that isn't your goal in life, to work yourself out of work. It's okay to have a different season, but you should always want to be productive in life and productive in work. And in fact, if you talk to experts in that field, they will say those who have the longest life and those who have the healthiest life are those who have meaningful work. We are always intended to be productive in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I once saw a sign in the back of a car that said, here we go, just mom and I. Too old to work, too young to die. <laughs> I thought, seriously? That's where you live? You know, you're done working, but you're not dead? There's got to be more to life than that. And I pray that you'll always realize that what you do for a living is not who you are. You know, you are God's child, and it doesn't even matter what you do for a living. Each of us have an equal opportunity to be significant, to do great things. There are stories throughout the Bible of slaves who accomplished great things. The slave girl who spoke to Naaman about the prophet who could heal him from his leprosy. She's the most important person uh, in all of Syria at that time. Lack of purpose leads to lack of value, leads to depression, leads to poor health, leads to death before its time. But this story is about something even more insidious, something even more pathological. It's the appearance of faith versus actual faith. You know, we, we have a saying in America, if, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it swims like a duck, it's a duck. Unless it's not. You know, this fig tree looked like a fig tree. It grew leaves like a fig tree. You know, Jesus thought it was a fig tree. But it didn't have figs. So how could you call it a fig tree? It was a leaf tree. In a previous couple of chapters, in chapter 7, here's what Jesus had to say about that. He said, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. You can't help yourself. If Christ is in your life, if you have the knowledge of him, if you have the intimacy of him, you can't keep yourself from living his life in your relationships, in your interaction, in your circumstance. It just happens. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. It's, it's a good tree. And a tree that does not produce fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do all the outward things? Didn't we in your name cast out demons? Didn't we in your name even perform miracles? And I will declare to them on that day, I never knew you. This is not imitation faith. You know, people say they're a good Christian or they're not the best Christian. What does that mean? As though Christianity is measured by action and by activity. 
when in fact Christianity is measured by a relationship that we have with the living God who sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And we understand that. And because of that, we cannot but serve this Lord. We cannot but produce fruit for him. James said it well. He said, someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me faith without works. I will show you my faith by my works. By producing the fruit that comes not by the behavior that imitates the faith, not by the leaves and the, and the structure of the tree that imitates something that grows figs, but something that actually produces figs. We are beneficiaries from that kind of life. It brings tremendous satisfaction to us when we live that kind of life. It brings the contentment. And it doesn't matter, again, you know, what level of life you have, what, what salary that you've achieved or what station of life that you exist, whether you're a student, you know, whether you're a stay-at-home person or whether you're uh, gainfully employed or not. We all have equal opportunity to be a fig-producing, faith-producing person in the world to the benefit of ourselves and to the satisfaction of our life well lived, to the witness of our faith and to the glory of our God. But it's interesting, although this is the, this is the teaching I would take away from Jesus cursing this tree for not doing what it, this tree should do because it was a fig tree after all. His disciples didn't even question that. It's just amazing to me. They said, how'd you do that? That's, that's all they asked. Like, not why did you do that or what's the point? They just said, how'd you do that? How did this tree wither so quickly? They wanted to know. Seeing this, they asked, how did that tree wither all at once? Jesus said, do not ask how a tree withers. If you have faith, you can say to this mountain, be moved and it will be moved. Do you believe that? I believe that. Do you pray for miracles? Do you expect miracles when you pray? I think as Christian people, we should immediately move to prayer when a miracle is needed. We should anticipate that it is possible for God to do such things as well. I already mentioned uh, an account from James in chapter 2, but there's another one in James chapter 1 that says, but if you ask him, Ask without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave that's driven and tossed by the wind, blowing this way and then blowing that way. It doesn't have any conviction about it. It doesn't have any direction. It doesn't have any sustaining power. Let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. You know, pray with faith. When you ask of the Lord, pray for faith. And this is the kind of prayer that Jesus asked for. It's always curious to me, did he do things because he was the son of God? Or did he do things because he was true man and just had greater faith than any other man and knew what God was capable of and prayed with such, such certainty that, that God answered his prayer? Now, of course, we always pray if it be God's will because, you know, I am not God. And my prayer may make a mess of things. He may have better in mind for somebody bringing them to heaven than to allow them to exist on earth that might be better for me. Remember Peter when Jesus said, you know, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem and die. He said, this will never happen to you. 
And he said, get behind me, Satan. Your mind is on what's best for you, Peter, having me stay with you, not on what's best for the kingdom. And so when we pray, we say, you know, if it be your will, Father, but I believe that he can do those miracles, whatever those miracles might be that you are praying for. We were talking today in, in, in staff meeting earlier about, uh, you know, the, the church is, is big and sometimes people say, you know, it's too big and they look for a smaller, more intimate experience. I say, too big for what? You know, too big to have friends? You know, if there are 1,800 or 2,000 people here on the weekend, think of the reach that we have. Think of the prayers that we can offer. Uh, we're too big if it only happens in this room, but we're not too big if it happens in your relationships, if it happens in your home, if it happens in your neighborhood, if it happens in your workplace, where you say, let's pray about that. And you believe that God can do that. In fact, I, I sometimes think that uh, we ought to, after the service, not always, perhaps, because we want to meet new people, but we have to say, you know, don't, don't come down front if you just want to tell me good sermon, Pastor Howard, or, or if, if you just want to remind me of something that's coming up in the course of the week. But come down here if you want me to lay hands on you and you want me to pray for healing and, and be that kind of a church that demonstrates that you know, as pastors, but also as people that we demonstrate only so that you would be that same kind of person. Jesus said, why do you say, how did this tree wither? God heard my prayer and the tree withered. God has the ability to hear your prayer and to do miraculous things as well. Now, I, I mentioned already that I love these services because they're meditative and I, I love the music and tonight especially, it's just incredible. But there's uh, also some other old hymns that I love. And I'd like to just close uh, this time as we uh, think about, uh, you know, producing figs, producing the fruit of faith in our life and uh, believing that God can answer prayer and being that kind of effective person uh, with the words of this old hymn that is really a prayer. So if you just bow your heads and think about the words with me. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter and I am the clay. Mold me. Make me. After thy will. While I am willing, waiting, yielded and still. Search me and try me, master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now. As in thy presence, humbly I bow. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. Have thine own way. Now, admittedly, I haven't been as productive in the fruit-bearing business as I wish for my life and certainly not to the degree that the Lord would want. I pray that I am more marked by those qualities that make me effective and productive in my knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you haven't been, then listen to the words of this song and uh, be moved by his grace because he makes beautiful things out of dust. He makes beautiful things out of us. Amen. <laughs>